0: Today is a great feast day for all those of the Marian family, for the Marian fathers and brothers, for the members of the Confraternity of the Immaculate Conception, and for our members of the Association of Marian Hopers, because we celebrate a man who made all this possible, what we have today. And so, since it is a feast day, uh, you know, for all those members that I just mentioned, You don't have to to fast today, or if you're staining from meat, you know, you can still make it a little festive. Uh, Have, you know, dessert uh, or, you know, uh, some good wine. You know, celebrate today's feast day if you're within the Marian family. Because, you know, think of uh, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey, uh, all that he sees that he affected, all that, you know, was. Similarly, we can think of Blessed George, all that was because of him. You know, obviously in God's providence, maybe someone else would have filled those shoes if someone uh, was lacking. But because of Blessed George Matulaitis, yes, his willingness to serve Christ in the church, everything here at this shrine is possible. Because without Blessed George, the Marians wouldn't be here in Stockbridge. The Marians may not even have existed. Blessed Michael Sapochko, who's in the St. Faustina Chapel, may have never been the spiritual director of St. Faustina. The Association of Marian Helpers would not exist. All this is possible because Blessed George saved the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. Marians were down to one member one member in the early 1900s you know we were founded in 1670 and uh, began to grow but then in the 1800s because of religious persecution around europe uh, we became dwindling down we were kicked out of portugal by the masonic government there napoleon kicked out the marians out of italy out of rome and then All the other places the Marians were, around Poland and Lithuania and all those surrounding territories, were then wiped off the map by Russia and Prussia and Germany. And the Marians uh, began to not have any members allowed to join, especially, you know, around 1830s. But then 1864, uh, after the Polish Revolution against the Russian uh, Empire, No Marians were allowed to join in 1860. So by early 1900s, only one member. And then this one priest feels that call to save the Marians. He was a professor in St. Petersburg, Russia at the time. And at the time, religious orders were basically illegal. The religious were kind of seen as, you know, because they answer more to the pope and the Vatican and Rome, They were seen as kind of spies of the the pope versus diocesan priests where the government might feel comfortable putting pressure on the the local bishop. And so, Blessed George writes to uh, Father Vincent Sinkus, the last white Marian, and lets him know, know, I'm feeling the call to, to put on the Marian habit. Uh, you know, what What can we do? And so, in secret, you know, the government was watching for any religious order activity. Uh, he began to work on renovating the Marians. He went to Rome, met with the bishops there, even Pope St. Pius X, and began on reestablishing, renovating the Marians. So the Marians came from a uh, religious order with solemn vows and a, a, a white habit in honor of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, and changed into, renovated into a religious congregation with simple vows, uh, with no habit. And Blessed George certainly actually wanted to put on the habit, but religious orders were illegal. So he asked Pope Pius X, you know, what what should we do about the habit? Pope Pius X said, you know, what do you need the habit for? You can live out your religious mission uh, without that, you know, for the sake of staying alive, not being caught. And... So slowly, you know, within like a year or two, Father Sinkus died, and the government thought that that was the end of the Marians. So, you know, good riddance. But no, in secret, Blessed George had two other members already with him, and uh, he had, he was a seminary professor in St. Petersburg, Russia, so he began to attract more members, even diocesan priests, and became too dangerous though, so he, for the sake of his health, you know, was able to get permission to go to Switzerland. And there, in Switzerland, Freiburg, he had a secret house, uh, uh, for the first novitiate. And there, the Marians slowly grew. So these novices, sometimes diocesan priests joining, they would join and then have to go back and do everything in secret. You know, they were religious, but nobody could know about it. Uh, that they were in vows. And Blessed George especially wanted to establish a house in the United States because he knew religious freedom was greater there than world, uh, you know, the, the Europe at the time. So Chicago was the first house in 1913 of the renovated Marian Fathers. And Blessed George was such a, a holy man such a charismatic uh, man, such zealous man, that he attracted so many members that by the time he died, only uh, 17 years later, the Marians went from one to 500. Uh, you know, people were just so attracted to to following him and joining him in you know this this new mission, this this renovated Marian community. He was born, you know, in 1871, when his country was totally wiped off the map. It was illegal even to speak that language. They could only speak it at home. If he was caught in uh, school or in seminary trying to write in Lithuanian, you know, there would be severe consequences. And he, you know, had a, a rough upbringing. His father died when he was only three years old, and then when he was 10 years old, his mother died. So he became an orphan. He was raised by his older sister, and uh, a cousin helped out getting him to minor seminary uh, when he felt that call to the priesthood. Uh, But he also, at a very young age, was struck with tuberculosis of the bone. Very painful. Uh, You know, sometimes having to walk with crutches or have leg braces for pretty much the rest of his life. It was incurable. So he dealt with this pain, though, very heroically. You know, even as a kid, he'd have to walk... Uh, three miles to school and then back, you know, with this condition, uh, especially in the bitter cold of uh, Lithuania. And when he uh, was a priest during World War I, you know, he had a special love for orphans because he himself was one. So he just started gathering all these orphans from, uh, from the war and started taking care of them with the help of some sisters and there was one time, you know, he, a lot of times he'd have to go begging for resources, supplies, food for these orphans. He, I think he had up to like 200 or 300 orphans at one point. And he, one time he went to a, uh, at this time during World War I, uh, Germany was occupying uh, where he was living. And so he went to a German official and asked for cots for the children to, to be able to sleep on. And the, the German official just chewed him out. He's like, you're a priest, you know, you, you should be trusting in divine providence. Uh, you know, you just leave us alone. And Blessed George very, you know, meekly replied, yes, but God relies on good people often to work through his divine providence. And you know, that kind of put that German official to shame. And so just kind of silently, he's like, mm, okay, you know, he fills out, you know, he, he says, you know, I'll see what I can do, and he gets him the, the cots. Uh, but then, blessed George, you know, he was relentless, kept coming back more and more for help. So at one point, uh, you know, a German official uh, just started chewing him out, going on a huge tirade, uh, cursing him out. Uh, and blessed George just took it, uh, you know, humbly, and then he said, OK, that, that was for me. Now, what about for the children, for the orphans? And again, you know, with his you know, virtue of humility, uh, just put that uh, official to shame and fig- you know, gets, gets the food, gets what, and the supplies that Blessed George needs. Well, so during that time in which he uh, you know, was renovating the Marians, dealing with uh, rome trying to figure out how that's all going to work uh pope pius x and some of the bishops there in the congregation notice hey this man would make a very good bishop and so they began to, to write to him saying you know basically the pope has chosen to you uh, chosen you to be a bishop and blessed george begged, begged begged that not to happen because especially Not only did he not consider himself worthy enough uh, or, you know, capable enough, he, you know, was expressing, I'm the superior general of this new community, which is still kind of in secret, you know, this is, there's a lot of responsibility I already have, Um, but uh, the Pope, uh, you know, basically said, doesn't matter, make a new bishop. And and included in that because they knew, Blessed George, you know, wanted to refuse. You know, every man can refuse. Uh, every priest could refuse to be a bishop. Doesn't have to accept the position. But at the end of it, they said, and the Pope will not accept your resignation. Uh, so, you know, the pope, pope Pius X was really intent on having him become bishop. So he became bishop right at the end of World War I, 1918 in, in, in Vilnius, Lithuania. Uh, well, at that time, not Lithuania, Uh, so in Vilnius. And when he was consecrated bishop there in December, the end of the year, the Germans were actually still occupying the city. They hadn't left yet. So he arrived just as, you know, within a month or two, the German uh, soldiers were finally departing. And so who now is in charge? Because Vilnius was a very contested city. There was a lot of ethnic Poles there. Uh, But yet Lithuania was saying, you know, this is their former capital from before they were wiped off the the map of Europe. And then also you had the Belarusians in the outskirts. And then also the Bolshevik revolution had just taken place and Russia was very interested in that territory, Soviet uh, Union. So blessed George, brand new bishop, had to deal with all of this political turmoil Within his first five years as bishop there, there was 10 changes in government. And his whole time there, you know, there was basically at least eight different civil governments, uh, you know, but sometimes shifting back and forth between hands. So there was a lot of fighting, uh, you know, militia, and a lot of people coming to him uh, asking for his support. Uh, And if he had ever done that, that would have been reason for you know, whatever side was in power to, to get rid of him. Um, but he always remained neutral, you know, much to the chagrin of everybody who came to him asking for support, he remained neutral. He said, my party is Christ. You know, he was not going to align himself with any of these uh, different political parties trying to establish power. He said, you know, he was there to serve uh, the, the, the Catholics there, especially, you know, he was their spiritual father. And he had made sure his priests too would, uh, you know, always preach and teach catechize uh, the people in their local language to not be, you know, so wrapped up in all that political turmoil that, you know, uh, well everything's got to be Polish or everything's got to be Lithuanian or everything Belarusian. You know, he had to try to unite all these different priests in the diocese in that way. And sometimes, uh, you know, he had to deal with priests being arrested. Or churches getting destroyed because, you know, some of the militia were using the the bell tower as a machine gun nest. Or, you know, uh, some parishes just being, uh, you know, so poor because of the the war. Uh, He had so much to deal with, you know, priests having to go in hiding because, you know, they were being sought after. And so, you know, I can can only imagine just the, the amount of, you know, headaches he always had to deal with. You know, I see, you know, Father Chris, how much is on his plate now as a provincial superior. I can only imagine for Blessed George, uh, you know, as bishop in this situation and still trying to take care of the Marian fathers uh, in that secret way. Uh, there's, there's a lot there. And yet, what motivated him? What got him through all that? Well, he's, he wrote his motto when he started the Marians, back in, or, you know, early on in that time. In uh, 1910, he wrote in his journal, My motto shall be to seek God in all things, to do all things for the greater glory of God, to bring the Spirit of God into all things so that all may be filled with it. May God in his glory be the center of my whole life, the axis about which all my thoughts, feelings, desires, and actions continually turn the glory of God and the salvation of souls. Can any other goal be greater or more sublime than this? Compared to this goal, everything else seems trivial. Of what value are even the best and noblest human ideals beside it? And so, it is not right and just for us to devote our whole lives and all that we have, our possessions, talents, even life itself, to attain this goal. That's what motivated them, you know, the salvation of souls. He wanted to give of himself entirely. And, you know, in light of the the gospel of today, the Lord says the harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. He he wanted to give himself entirely to that. Uh, He didn't want to just be a laborer in that vineyard. He says, you know, in his journal again, My God, let me be used in your vineyard, in your field, as manure, as fertilizer, so that your harvest may be, be richer and the fruit more abundant. Let me be despised, used up, and worn out so that your glory may increase and so that I may be of some use to the growth of your church. Uh, another analogy he uses says, If I may ask, Lord, let me be but a dish rag in your church. A rag used to wipe up messes and then thrown away into some dark and dirty corner. I want to be used up and worn out in the same way so that your house may be a little cleaner and brighter. And afterwards, let me be thrown away like a dirty, worn out dish rag. That's the kind of uh, sacrificial nature he had. You know, with St. Paul, one of his favorite uh, apostles, one of his favorite saints. St. Paul talks about, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. Blessed George wholeheartedly agreed with St. Paul, and desired to offer up all his sacrifices to make up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, that is, uniting all his sacrifices to the sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice of Christ. And he, you know, lived in such evil times that his model, he knew the only way to conquer that evil, all that uh, suffering and evil he endured, he knew the only way that it could be conquered is, like St. Paul says, with good. And so his Episcopal model was overcome evil with good. You know, he knew that you can't fight darkness with more darkness. If you want to make that room filled with, you know, you want to conquer the darkness in a room, you got to flip the light switch on. You got to get that light on, light the candle. And that's exactly what he sought to do. So he didn't he didn't fear any of the evil. In fact, he he thought if his priests or his Marians, if they weren't experiencing evil, if they weren't experiencing persecution like Christ, then something was wrong. Uh, you know, he would remind his brother priests uh, what Saint Ignatius of Loyola used to say, which was. I would become really alarmed only when people stopped attacking and persecuting our order. That would be a sign that we have become so lazy and are no longer serving the Lord as we should. that the world and the evil spirits do not pay any attention to us and let us rest in peace. He reminded his brothers to remember those words, that you know, whoever begins to work zealously for God and that for the church, he says, will never lack trials and even persecution. And that because they are taking part in that redemptive mission of Christ uh, and the church. And so that's why, you know, he sought to really give of himself entirely. And uh, indeed, he did have much, uh, you know, a big target on his back, not only from civil authorities, but even uh, sometimes those in the church. And uh, he died only in his 50s, 1927. I think of uh, an appendix rupture or something wrong with the surgery. Um, But he left a a huge impact uh, because, like I said, without him, the Marians wouldn't have existed. And uh, Blessed Michael Sapochko would have probably, may have not been the spiritual director of St. Faustina. Why is that? Well, Blessed Michael Sapochko was the. was a priest of the Vilnius diocese, and during World War I, you know, as a new priest, he was a, a chaplain for the Polish army, and he remained in Warsaw, being a chaplain for the army and teaching in a seminary uh, after the war, and you know, imagine all that political turmoil—it wasn't really a good time to return to Vilnius. But eventually, Blessed George, you know, said, "Come anyways, you know, come back to Vilnius." Um, to and so he called back Blessed Michael Sapochko, and then that allowed Blessed Michael Sapochko to be the spiritual director of Saint Faustina, and then that also allowed Father Joseph Jarzembski, the Marian Father, who needed escape from the Gestapo during World War II, to meet Blessed Michael Sapochko, take those divine mercy materials, and bring it to America, and eventually, you know, the Marians establishing the shrine here. Uh, so, you know, as, as rector of the shrine here, I, I uh, invite you, you know, all those who are listening, to come to the National Shrine, Divine Mercy, and uh, learn more about Blessed George, the renovator, and come venerate his relic here in the, the St. Joseph Chapel. Uh, you know, he is interceding for us, and, uh, you know, in the Marian Helper magazine, sometimes we have some testimonies of those who receive great graces through his uh, intercession, Uh, you know, and we're still looking for uh, a miracle for his canonization, you know, St. Stanislaus, uh, here, our founder, you know, his miracle was very recent. He was canonized only in 2016, uh, but, you know, the the life of a young woman was saved through St. Stanislaus's intercession, so if you know anyone through, uh, you know anyone in, in dire need of a miracle, you know, pray novena to blessed George. Uh, and, um, you know, and then let the, the Marians know about that if, if uh, you know, God uh, allows that. And if you'd like to learn more about uh, Blessed George, you know, we have a, a book here, Blessed George, Archbishop George Matulaitis Matulevich, His Life and His Writings. Uh, that's available at our Divine Mercy gift shop here on the grounds. And then also his journal, very, uh, very spiritually rich uh, journal of Blessed George you know the Marians often like to give this as a gift to to bishops uh, so you know uh, you can get that as a gift for your bishop or uh, your even your pastor you know a lot of uh, rich uh, quotes there and one thing uh, to keep in mind is Blessed George was one who really saw uh, the need for the laity to get involved in the fight to Take part in laboring in the harvest. And he, you know, especially uh, wanted to make sure the laity were uh, instructed and educated in matters of faith and better informed about the needs of the church. And he wanted to to fire them up with holy zeal uh, and to organize them uh, to to make an impact in, in the church and in society. You know, there was a lot of attacks on the Catholic Church. And priests during that time that he lived in, uh, you know, uh, you know, think about today. Well, it was even actually in some ways worse uh, back in, that, in those times. And so he knew that they, the laity, they were the ones who could go where the priests can't. They were the ones who could, you know, show up to work uh, in a place where you know the priest is not going to be working alongside them. And so he knew the laity; they were the ones who were going to make. A huge impact on society they were the ones who were going to bring that light of christ to those in darkness and so you know the association of marian helpers is a great fulfillment of of his wishes there and then you know we can ask blessed george then for his intercession that we grow in that holy zeal and laboring in the vineyard that we too you know be consumed like a candle on the altar uh, or uh, you know thrown away like a, a dirty dish rag, you know used up only for the glory of God, you know in everything he faced, he said, We should fear one thing only: to die without having suffered, struggled, and toiled for the church, for the salvation of souls, for the glory of God may all our thoughts, desires, and longings be directed toward that one goal, to bring Christ everywhere, to restore all things in his spirit, to glorify the name of the Catholic Church in every place. And then his last words to the Marians was this phrase, close ranks and sacrifice yourselves. Blessed George, pray for us.